Some time ago, I shared with the congregation a new physical challenge that I was facing in the evaluation of my physical health, finding out something that had been plaguing me for at that time about uh, a year and a half in, a, in more ways than I ever realized. And some of you have been praying for me ever since that day, perhaps all of you. I know some of the children remind me every Sunday how they pray for me. And so in honor of what the Lord our God does for us, I just wanted to share a personal word about that today. For the first time in about a year and a half, I had 30 days without any kind of feeling other than being normal. And normal's precious. Your prayers are coveted, God's response appreciated, and it appears that the medicine that was given that they told me would take three to six months to work, and to what degree they didn't know, has really begun to take effect because I didn't have any downtime uh, in the last 30 days, and that's the first time I can honestly say that in a long time. You know, so often when God delivers us, we cherish it and we it's precious to us, but we don't always remember to share it. I would say that there are more, more ways than we can count in which God delivers us day by day, event by event. Let's just take the children's sermon. You know, they are always preaching a sermon regardless of what I plan to preach. Let's take the leaf pile. You ever been out in a strong wind and tried to rake your leaves? Yes. You know, as we get older, we generally give that up until it's a calmer day or we call the neighborhood boy or the youth group or somebody else to do it because it's so frustrating, right? All the leaves are there on the ground. You get them all piled up in one spot. Before you can get them in the bag, a gust of wind comes in, scatters them all over the yard again, and you hate to do it twice and three times and four times, and usually at some point you just give up and go home. Now, if you can imagine people as leaves that have fallen off of a tree, and not only did they fall off of the tree, but the great tree caregiver, try as hard as he might, when the winds came, the leaves continued to blow away from the great gatherer. If you can imagine that in your head, then you can imagine how difficult it is for God who not only made the tree, but every leaf from it that grew from the tree that God planted how imagine how difficult it is for God to watch those leaves blowing away and how difficult it is to keep pulling them together again only to watch them be affected by the next puff of wind. And sometimes life on this earth feels that way. The winds come just like the rains come. And sometimes we're not at our best and we fall away. It's God's story about us. It's God's Frustration, I feel like, at times with us, as the scriptures talk about. And it's our own frustration with ourselves as well as others. It's very hard for all the leaves to stay where they were meant to stay, is it not? The story that's God's story in the scripture, the framework for our faith, begins with the fact that God created the trees and leaves and everything on them. That God created life and he said it was good. And he had fellowship with that good life in his people. He gave them a task to do to cultivate the garden and to care for the world he had created and everything in it. He gave himself to them as a fellowship together, spent time together. And now when all was said and done, he even gave them choice. For they were created in his image and 
they must have choice. And then in that choice, we know that, as we talked about last week, that good creation were blown about by the wind to temptation, and they made a poor choice. Really the only poor choice they could make at that time. The one thing God told them not to do, they did. And we know that story, and we talked about it again last week, and death came into a very real and present picture in the life of those first humans that were created by God. A death that would be physical and and a life that would be different as well, for no longer were they in the garden, but they had had to make their living from the sweat of the brow. It would be painful, even more painful than before, in burying children. And the earth upon which they live would now not be their friend. It's very sobering to think about sometimes that the consequences of our sin can scatter us so much that we no longer can walk intimately with God. But that's what the Bible story tells us. That's what God's story tells us about humanity. And then as I was telling the children, we get into the thickest part of the Bible, right? The part of the Bible that says God had a plan to get all the leaves back on the tree. Wouldn't that be a sight? If you could go out in the fall when all the leaves were on the ground and the tree was kind of half full with the leaves and mostly bare, and suddenly you had the power just to say, leaves gather together, and they'd all jump off the ground and run back up on the tree and stick themselves there and regain their green color. That would be better than raking, right? I would much rather do that. That's what I would enjoy. I would just say, leaves jump out there. It would be cool because everything would be put back the way it was and the way it ought to be. That's what God does with his story of redemption. He has a plan to get all those scattered leaves back on his tree. Now, I know, I get it. You're starting in Genesis 12, and you're going to go all the way until the last part of Revelation with God's plan of redemption. It's going to cover a period of thousands of years, and we're going to go, really, God? Couldn't you have done this quicker? We are in the age of microwaves. Take out. Eating out. We like our stuff fast. And here you've taken thousands of years to work out this plan of redemption. All this time you spent, couldn't you have done it sooner? Look how long you put up with those Israelites. I mean, my goodness, couldn't you have speeded that up? Because the story doesn't race along. The story plods along. Maybe like our individual stories? Don't many of us plot along toward being all that God wants us to be? I don't know too many Christians that are just racing forward for Jesus, bursting with flavor from the first moment he saves them, going about doing all things good and having all good thoughts. Do you know very many of those Christians? No, it takes years just to get one person to make substantive change, right? It takes a lot of effort from us. Well, evidently, it takes a lot of effort from God. Now, yes, we want to say, God, why did you take so long? And really, God would probably say, it probably sigh. Oh, these people, they're so stubborn. They're so set on their own ways. He would probably look at us and say, son, did you put the stars in the sky? Did you create an orderly world? If I take thousands of years to save humanity, it's because it's necessary. I know more than you know. And we go, really? 
Really? God, you'll know more than we know? The plan of redemption had to happen this way? We don't know why you couldn't take those gnarly first human beings and turn them into 20th century people a lot quicker. After all, we're so sophisticated. We're so pure. We're so smart. Right? You see, God's plan of redemption is so unique that he started with one man and one woman. And thank God he picked an old man and an old woman. You say, why thank God for him picking Abraham and Sarah? Because when he picked them, they were too old to have children. And he said, you're going to have many descendants. And Sarah started laughing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when a grandchild asks grandma, grandma, are you going to have any more children? And grandma goes, no, that's not possible. That's what Sarah said, too. I'm too old to have children. You've got to be kidding me. Well, she did. In fact, she had several children, right? Because, you see, God had decided that the way he would gather his people, what he, was, he would start with one family. One family. And in gathering that family and their servants and their, his brother Lot and taking them to another land, God began something that became millions of people later on in the story of redemption. Amazing, is it not? That he took those people and they multiplied so that they became a great army. And when they were hungry, he allowed them and managed for them because God took care of them by becoming slaves in Egypt. And even as slaves, they continued to multiply and grow. And the nation of people, the children of Abraham, if you will, grew to be countless numbers so much that they began to threaten the Egyptians who held them in captivity. And they, and they began to cry out to God, God, save us, deliver us. And so God called down a mighty army of angels, and he swept down and he wiped out the Egyptians in a six-hour battle, right? No. He called Moses, the stutterer, and said, I need you to take a word to the leader of the world. And the Moses goes, no, 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 me. It must be, it must be him, because I don't talk too well. I'm not the guy. God said, yes, you are. You're the guy. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm going to give you the words to say, don't sweat it. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'll be there with you. Isn't there somebody else? Nope. Just old Moses is going to go and speak to the known powers of the world and say, let God's people go. And in the end, what does Pharaoh do? Let's them go, right? And not only that, God smiles and causes them, they want them to give gone so much that they give them all their treasure and send the Israelites off with all kinds of treasures into the wilderness. And you say, man, that's a great deliverance story. It is the one that is at the heart of the faith of Israel. It was at the beginning part of that redemption plan when God did a mighty act among them and showed that he could deliver them even from the mighty hand of slavery that they were suffering under. Now, it was 400 years they were in captivity there, and that seems like a long time. We thought, shouldn't God have acted sooner? I don't know. I don't know what all they learned in 400 years. I was talking to Charles this past week on the phone, and he says, I know God's got something for me to learn in this. He says, I've learned I'm, I'm not nearly as patient as I thought I was. I've learned I'm not near as trusting as I thought I was. I'm learning lots of things. 
while I go through this fire in my life. For you see, it seems like humanity has to go through these cycles of closeness, times of growth, spiritual strength, and then cycles of not so close and not so strong, which is the story of the judges and the kings as a people of God had periods and years of great faithfulness following a faithful ruler, followed by cycles of sin and disobedience. And here's this great nation that God has redeemed for his own people. Out of all the other persons in the world he could have selected, he selected that family, and they became this people that were to be his people, distinctly different from other people, holy, trusting in the Father, God, who had created them and given them life living to the best they could according to the rules, the laws that God had given Moses to be for the people so that they could see what God wanted. And this went on and on into the nation of Israel, and God delivered them even from the wilderness that they wandered in for 40 years, even from the land of the Canaanites, even from the hands of the Philistines who were much stronger than they. Over and over again, God showed the Israelites how he could redeem them and would redeem them. Because they were his children. And yet over and over again, they proved to be weak. They proved unable to keep the law, unwilling to put their whole trust in God. It's a common story that we know well when we've been reading the scriptures. This activity of deliverance, which comes from the very meaning of the word redemption, which becomes a more popular word in our culture called salvation, all mean toward the same, lean toward the same idea. The idea of God's saving activity. Are you ready for this? In history. In history. History and a theological truth of who God is are intertwined. God is not some God far off, transcendent, represented by a rock on earth. God is alive and mingling within the affairs of his people in history. Even the very calendar we follow, even in this secular world in which we live, is controlled and marked by the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The things on this earth are impacted by the things of heaven. That is the story of redemption. And it's only when God is interacting with his people and they are responding to him that we sense the fullness of life. Now, even having delivered Israel, however, they begin to fight and quarrel amongst themselves till they split into two kingdoms, till their priests were no longer faithful to their calling, till the people were no longer faithful in their following, until the time came when God said, Israel, Israel. I'm going to send the prophets, and they're going to warn you. And so the prophets came, and they told them the story, and they warned them to repent and to turn back to God, and even now God will save you. But they would not. And so in the end, God used the Assyrians, the Babylonians, to come into their protected people status and destroy most of God's people until just a remnant was left, and they were sent off into captivity in Babylonia where they remained for years and years and years. The temple was even destroyed. And I'm just wondering if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were sitting around going, you think they got the message? 
You think they got it? And the spirit says, oh, I, I'm working hard. I'm hoping they're getting it. And he looks to the son, you think they got it? I don't know, Father. They're pretty obstinate. They're pretty stubborn. They like the idea of being God, controlling their own lives. And God says, but there are people. We must deliver them. And after 400 years of silence, by our way of marking time, I think probably Jesus turned to the Father and said, Father, send me. Send me and let me give myself for them. Let me redeem them, though they be guilty. Let me redeem them. Let me suffer for them and serve them so that they can understand how powerful is your love for them. Maybe then they will finally see what the plan of redemption is all about and turn back to you with their whole hearts, not trying to do something with their will that they seem unable to consistently to do, but to believe and to trust in their hearts so that they might follow you. And God has sent Jesus into the world. He lived among us. And he lived the life of a perfect human. And historically, they recorded his life. They recorded his death when those who would not receive him took his life. And historically, historically, it was witnessed by far more than is required before a court or a jury, the resurrected Lord who walked the earth again in a new body. Redemption has been completed. The plan, the last plan of God is in place. All that is left is to gather together God's people, to grow them into the body of Christ so that they can do what he asked Abram to do, go into all the nations and bless them. All the people of this world are to be blessed because of those who are followers of Christ. And the Holy Spirit will go with you in my absence so that you will never be alone and without my intimacy, without the intimacy of my presence again, you will always have me with you. Go now and do the work until Christ comes again to the earth in his glory and every leaf is placed back on the tree and all is restored. Wow, what a plan. What a plan to be carried out by people, superheroes. Okay, not superheroes. Plain old people like us, like you and like me. God continues to work through us to tell other people the story of redemption so they too can make a choice to be a part of that plan and they too can tell someone else. It's a simple plan really when you boil it all down and there are so many ways to describe it that there's certainly not one that's the simple right way but the way we're practicing lately in this church is that idea of 3G ministry that idea that we're going to gather people together, even our own people. And when we gather them together in gatherings, we're going to give them the opportunity to come together as small groups so they can grow. Not groups that go on and on and on, but groups that come and go. 
so we can learn different things from different people, so that the body of Christ can have new dynamics constantly coming in and out amongst six weeks groups that are forming, learning, and growing. And then after they begin to learn and to have the essence of the gospel in place, that learning will continue for the rest of their life, yes, in some kind of way. But we're also going to start sending them. We're going to tell them to go. Now that you've gathered and now that you've grown, go out into the world. Find your ministry. Find people around you who you're meeting in these small core groups. And figure out things you can do together to make your neighborhood better, to make your church better, to make this state better, to make this nation better. For God's sake, to make the world better as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. How hard is it? Gather. Learn so you're growing. And then go out and do something with it. Now I'm going to tell you the story of Methodism lately. We're pretty good at gathering. We're great at growing. We're the most educated Christians God's ever seen. All the knowledge and growing in your spiritual life in the world doesn't do the Father who created you much good at all unless you go with it to the people who don't know it. The gospel is not all about us. It's entrusted to us so that we go with it and give it to others. We Methodists. I know I'm putting things this way. We Methodists. Okay, maybe I got one finger going that way every now and then too. We Methodists are great at studying, but we also have to go. Souls depend upon it. I think the church depends upon it. You say, why do you think the church depends upon it, Doug? Because if we Methodists don't get it right, so much of the world is reformed, I'm, I'm afraid they'll miss the best expression of this redemption. They need some good old Wesleyan theology. They need some people who've been schooled and who have grown in a personal relationship with Christ that understand that salvation is a process. That's Wesleyan. That understand that growing is essential to life. That's Wesleyan. That understand that we can be better than we are. That's Wesleyanism. That's the idea that we are made for something more than it, just like we sang earlier today. We weren't made to be a lump of clay. We're made to be yeast amongst the people of the world. We're made to affect one another. The reason Brandon comes down to the chancel rail to pray is because he continues to rely upon God's power to heal him and upon the, his praying community and believing community to keep him alive. If only we could all jump on a plane and go over the hand and overwhelm that hospital in the Philippines. I, it pains me that they're so far away. So I just keep talking to them and I keep visiting with them and emailing them and trying to wrap our arms around them. And he keeps, Charles keeps thanking me and thanking me for the prayers he feels and for the power of God that they feel in their midst. We keep praying for Chiv to behave himself. <laughs> and we know when we pray he won't. Because, but we do know that God's hand will be upon him to use him in a mighty way and that lives will be saved while he's in Cambodia. Children will be baptized. Adults will turn from their ways to life. This congregation encouraged him and has supported him 
and are directly responsible for the going to Cambodia. Thanks be to God for you as a community who's gathered to do more than just learn, although we have to learn first. But once we learn, then we need to go. At some point in our life, we probably should be doing more going than learning. If we have really studied hard for 30 years, then we ought to be able to get most of the next 30 years doing for Jesus. After all, how long does it take us to learn? And some of you are thinking, well, pretty long time for me. Pretty long time for me too. I know we're going to keep learning. I don't worry about you learning. I do worry about the church, not just the Methodist church, but the whole church going. Because going is costly. Actually, it's the going of, of the Jackson family that has separated them from us now during this crucial time. But they're there by choice because they chose to go to God. And they chose to go to the, some of the most down and out places in the world. And they've been going ever since. They have no fear. They just ask us to pray with them. You support them beautifully. And God is glorified in everything you do for them. So I ask you today, where are you in this process? We're forming these groups in the men's ministry that we're reforming. Hopefully, hoping and believing that it will become larger and stronger than ever before. It requires the men to set aside a little time on their calendar. Our day-long retreats are going to be two hours. Okay, we're guys. What can we do, right? We're going to have two-hour time together. We're going to gather and talk about things. We're going to come into groups and talk about things. And then we're going to have small groups that meet a small time for six weeks. And there will be a break, just like the women have done and modeled before us. It works. The second series of lessons has already been prepared and is ready for those groups that took the first class and the next new group of first-timers will be coming. And pretty soon, you're going to be shocked that one day you're going to be sitting in someone's house, maybe your own, and you're going to be meeting and looking across the room. There's going to be one of your sisters in Christ or brothers in Christ that you know at the Methodist Church sitting there with you, and you're going to look around the room, and there's going to be a half a dozen other neighborhood people that are at your house to learn about the story of redemption, gathering with you, and you're going to be their Moses. You're going to be the one in that gathering to share the story, to direct them to a small group of their own where they can continue to grow so they too can go into the world. If we don't get excited about that, I don't know what to tell you, but we'll try something else. But I don't think we're going to have to. I think this is it. I think God has spoken He's inspired the people who put this program together, and he's going to inspire us with it as well. And the fruit of that inspiration is already being admired before it ever happens in the eyes of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know those, that God, we offer him to you. All you have to do is just get out of your chair and walk down here while we sing. If you need to say yes to God, Today's a great day to do it. It's a great day for a new beginning. 
If you're here and you are, God, you're kind of wandering around. You don't have a pile of leaves to help hold you steady. You're just kind of holding onto the ground yourself. You need us, and we need you. We invite you to be a part of this congregation by coming forward as we stand and sing our closing song.